Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you will. And um, I think I'm probably going to wrap up here. Um, we have been taking the last several weeks, I think we're in week five, maybe six at this point. We've been ministering directly on the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, speaking in a, a heavenly language and the need and the, the motive and the power that is behind praying in an unknown tongue. And if you have not yet, I, I probably should have said this from the beginning, if you have not yet receive that experience. It's for you. It's for you. So, you know, let's not get into this subject and get into these matters and write off, well, you know, that's for some people, or if God wants to give it to me, he wants to give it to you. He said, I'd pour out my spirit on all flesh, and he wants to have conversation with you in an unknown tongue. He wants you to actively speak in a heavenly language. One of the most powerful keys that we saw last week in talking about the benefits uh, to us spiritually in praying in another language is we can now pray beyond our natural ability, beyond our natural comprehension. And so it's not about not having understanding. It's about getting beyond my need of understanding. And sometimes, like we've been saying, our need to know or our need to understand gets in the way of our ability to believe and literally walk by faith. You know, what I love about praying in the Spirit is it's one of the greatest ways to lean on and yield to your trust in God. It takes a, an, a high amount of trust. Why? Because I don't know what I'm saying. It literally removes me from the equation, and now I'm having to rely on the Holy Spirit within me engaging my spirit and connecting with God in heaven directly, a direct line. And so it takes an immense amount of trust. But you know, uh, as well as I do, that, you know, when we start talking about trust, we all have levels of trust that we have pushed ourselves to and feel comfortable with. Y'all y'all remember the trust fall, right? The, the, you remember that growing up? You, do the trust fall, and you got people lined up behind you, and you're supposed to just close your eyes or look straight ahead and, you know, cross your arms and just fall back and trust. Well, you know, the depending on the character and nature of the people behind you determines the level of trust that's in your heart. Amen? And there's some people I don't trust you to be behind me. I just get to the ground myself. I don't need your help. Thank you very much. But so we've got to... We have to increase in our trust in God, in our trust in His Word, in our trust in the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that this has opened you up and, 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 and drawn you in. If, again, if this is something you've already experienced and you're operating in, I pray that it just gives you an even greater clarity and a greater pull and a greater draw that, man, I have to engage this daily in my life, privately, in my personal life, and I need to be bold about it. I need to be bold in sharing it. It's not something I shy away. It, people ask me, well, do, you, do you do that tongue-talking thing? 
Absolutely I do. And if you only knew the power that it was available, you'd be asking me, how can you get it too? Amen. We got to be bold about it. Not obnoxious, not weird, not, not kooky with it, but bold in, man, this is something that God has ordained by his word. It's outlined in his word. And if you'd give me a moment, I'd love to share with you about why it's important to me and why you need it as a believer as well. Amen. So I hope it stirred us up in, in multiple different capacities. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, again, just to re- reiterate the obvious and what we've covered, this is an entire chapter that Paul has written to the Corinthian church, a goofy, kooky, weird church um, that was a sinful church and a crazy church and out there church. But he had dedicated an entire chapter to clarifying and giving clear direction on the gifts of the Spirit, specifically tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy in corporate settings, in gatherings such as what we are in today. An entire chapter, which again indicates to us they were missing it just as much as we're missing it today. Apparently, there needed to be some clarity given. Apparently, it was just as misunderstood then as it is today. Apparently, that there were abuses and excesses um, that were taking place in that church that we're still seeing and dealing with today. And Paul felt led, I'm going to dedicate a whole chapter. In fact, to be honest with you, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 all cover the same topic. Now, when we look at chapter 12, he talks about the nine gifts of the Spirit, and then he goes into the body of Christ, how we're all many members, but we make up one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 might seem like a little shift in direction where it's called the chapter of love or the love chapter, right? He outlines love, but it's sandwiched right right between the gifts of the Spirit and then tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. What is he saying? If we do all that mess without love being the key component, we're missing it all together. Just go ahead and forget the gifts. Go ahead and forget uh, uh, spiritual gifts and looking spiritual and acting spiritual and unknown tongues and prophecies and discernment and wisdom and healings. Forget all that if you're not going to keep love the main thing. He puts it right in the middle. And he says, without love, I'm just a, a, a clanging symbol. I'm just making noise at that point. So love is a key component to all of this. And, and maybe we'll... we'll, we'll you know, dial that in at some point and and kind of go there and talk about the love of God and how it, it is vital that the love of God is the key element and the key aspect of us operating in these gifts of the Spirit. But then again, in chapter 14, he begins with verse 1 saying, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. So again, he's, he's connecting us back to where he left off in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, There's gifts of the Spirit, and they need to be in operation. They need to be in manifestation. He's saying desire, earnestly go after, have a hunger for, have a draw for these spiritual gifts. Amen? And uh, we saw in verse 2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however, in the Spirit he speaks Mysteries. So again, uh, locating and, and, and getting into what we have specifically been talking about in the realm of tongues, we're talking to God. That is the primary form and the primary usage of tongues and the 
<clears throat> private use of speaking in an unknown tongue or being baptized with the Holy Spirit and the evidence of speaking in an unknown tongue is so I can speak to God. So notice that it's not even about what I'm doing with people. It's not even for people. In essence, I'm not even, um, I, might, I might even be unfruitful in my own thinking or my own knowing, but I'm speaking directly to God. Romans chapter 8 says that we're making, we're speaking mysteries by the Holy Spirit. We said this, that the Holy Spirit comes alongside our prayers. It's spirit-assisted praying. So when we're talking about praying in the Spirit, praying in an unknown language, in essence, what we're saying is you're praying with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And then we said this, that it's not the Holy Spirit praying in place of us. It's the Holy Spirit praying alongside us. So it's not me stepping out of the way and saying, okay, Holy Spirit, you take it. No, it's me locking in, but I'm saying, Holy Spirit, I need you involved in my prayer life. I need you praying along with me. And now I'm going to pray in an unknown tongue beyond my capacity, beyond my comprehension, beyond natural ability. And I'm going to connect with the spiritual ability. But tonight what I want to cover is really why this chapter was written. Uh, Common misuses of tongues. Common abuses of tongues. Or you could even use this word, common excesses of tongues. I believe that a lot of times you can learn what something is by looking at what it isn't. You can learn what something is supposed to do by identifying what it's not supposed to do. And we're going to clarify several things. We're going to cover some misuses even in our own private language on our own. But we're also going to look at what Paul is addressing here Mostly, he's addressing the public issue, what's happening in these services, what the Corinthian church was operating in and engaging in these services that was actually taking them away from the purpose of tongues, not bringing them to it. And so we're going to look at several of these. I think I've got five of them that we're going to look at. The the first one that I want to give you is a common misuse of tongues is fighting the devil in tongues. Fighting the devil in tongues. And I wanted to start here because if you remember last week from the benefits of praying in the spirit that we saw, one of them was spiritual warfare. So you might be thinking, Pastor Mark, you're already getting me into contradictory statements. You're already telling me that we're supposed to be using it as spiritual warfare, but now you're telling me that I can't fight the devil in tongues. Well, what I want to refer to is the focus of our warfare. The focus of our warfare. And many believers in tongues or in English, in in a known language or unknown language, direct their prayers in the wrong direction. Direct their prayers in the wrong direction. And and there were times, and and, and some of these things, for some of y'all might be unfamiliar, like I've never even heard of people warring in tongues or fighting the devil in tongues. But there were dispensations where this stuff was happening. Okay? And so, you know, we can still arm ourselves even if it's nothing we have ever personally been exposed to. But again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says there, we speak to who? To God. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. We speak to God. We're not speaking to man. You are not speaking directly to the devil. Um, Some people think that they're 
uh, you know, they, they, they think in the unknown language that they are rebuking the devil or they're talking directly to the devil. No such thing. We're talking to God. In essence, this is what we mean when we talk about spiritual warfare. You are getting heaven to move on your behalf. You are getting heaven to move on your behalf. You have the authority. You have the power. There's not one time Jesus fought with the devil. And then on the cross, he even went a whole step further and defeated the devil. I would even go this far. The enemy, the, the, the devil is not even your enemy. He's whipped. He's stripped. He's defeated. You know who's your biggest enemy? You. Yourself. You are your own worst enemy. If we could get ourselves out of the way, we could walk in all kinds of things that the word promises us. But the devil's sitting over in the corner, whipped, stripped, defeated. He knows he's underfoot. He knows that we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus above all principality, power, might, and dominion. He knows by one word we can eradicate and unravel anything he's trying to bring against us. That's all it takes. It doesn't take work. It doesn't take striving. It doesn't take, you know, just... It takes one word. Jesus would tell those demons, be gone, get out, leave them. And he, he wasn't, there was no arguing, there was no negotiating. It was, you're gone. That was the power and the authority that he walked in. And again, he demonstrated on this earth not what he could do, but he demonstrated what we could do. So we should be walking with that same level of authority and that same level of I'm not trying to get the devil to do something. But here's the other thing. I'm also not trying to get God to do something. I'm just simply walking in the authority and the power that through Jesus and through the cross, not on my own power, not on my own ability, but through what Jesus provided, that he's raised us up and seated us in heavenly places together with so we, we don't want to have this mentality that I'm fighting or I'm working to defeat or working to overcome the devil. No, I am praying and speaking in line with the will of God, right? The Holy Spirit always prays in line with the will of God. The Holy Spirit never messes it up. <laughs> the Holy Spirit never prays the wrong prayer. Oh, wait, that wasn't the right one. No. So again, when I'm connecting with the Holy Spirit, I know I'm praying in perfect alignment with the will of God. Even in my own language, I can miss it. But man, when I get connected with the Holy Spirit, I cannot miss it. I cannot blow it. And then the Holy Spirit's going and he's taking that intercession to the Father. And he's standing in the gap for us. And then he's making things happen in the heavenlies, in a spiritual realm. So we got to understand this, that I'm not trying to overcome and beat down. He is beat down. Let's, let's live and walk like the devil is as defeated as he is. Can we do that as the body of Christ? Can we rise to who we are? There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no travesty. There's no challenge that will ever whip us. We came in as overcomers. You are more than a conqueror by Christ Jesus. Amen? So I wanted to start there just to kind of clear up uh, that activity that we are moving heaven to to move on our behalf, act on our behalf. But we are not trying to uh, rebuke or break down the devil through our praying in the Spirit. And then again, that goes for English or in an unknown tongue. Number two, misuses of tongues. Number two, trying to conjure up a move of the Spirit. 
trying to conjure up or trying to make something happen in the spirit realm. And I want to be um, very clear with, with all of these um, because, you know, I'll be honest, in, in my background, in my exposure, my experience, I, I've seen just about every single one of these and even plus some, uh, you know, in operation. Um, but I've definitely been in plenty of services where people have tried to do something naturally to make something happen spiritually. Now, again, when we're talking about the spiritual matters, praying in the spirit or yielding to the Holy Spirit, there is a natural component. I'm still participating. I'm still involved. The Holy Spirit does not possess people. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come on you and force you to do anything. That would be like demon possession. The Holy Spirit doesn't operate like a demon which demands a yielded, a yielded heart, a yielding of the believer to the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Well, in that, I have to understand where I am working with the Spirit, not trying to make the Spirit work with me. You got to understand the difference. And a lot of believers don't understand the difference. They think that we have the ability and the capacity to make the Holy Spirit do whatever he wants when it comes to gifts of the Spirit and spiritual impartations, uh, spiritual manifestations and demonstrations. But 1 Corinthians, guys, I didn't give you this one, Matthew, but if you could jump this one in there for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, give it to me in the New King, James, and the Amplified. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, basically from, from verse 1 all the way through to, to verse 10, he's outlining the nine gifts of the Spirit. He shows us those nine gifts. But then in verse 11, he gives us a summary of those nine gifts, and this is what he says. In the New King James, he says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, here's the three words, as he wills. So he works them and distributes them as he wills. So this is not my desire. This is not my will. This is not our corporate will. This is as the Spirit wills. Look at it in the Amplified Version. I love how that puts it in the Amplified. All these things, that's those nine gifts, the gifts, the achievements, the abilities, and the empowering are brought about by one and the same Holy Spirit, distributing to each one individually just as he chooses. Just as he chooses. So he outlines that the distribution, the empowering, the gifts themselves, the abilities, the skills, all of it is given by the will and the desire of the Holy Spirit. And how many of you know the Holy Spirit knows just what we need? Over uh, later on down, it says to desire the best gift. You know what the best gift is? The one that is most needed at that time. You know, these are nine very differing gifts. In fact, Paul says that, that these are various gifts. I mean, you got everything from a word of knowledge to a gift of miracles, to a gift of tongue and interpretation, to prophecy, uh, 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 you know, discernment. Words of wisdom, you know, you got various gifts. And 
you need the right one at the right time. And he says, if you'll just yield to the Holy Spirit, he knows what you need at the moment. And then when the Holy Spirit shows up, we've got to get in with him. Because, again, the Holy Spirit's not going to force his way in. We've got to yield. But he's also not going to do as we will or as we choose. And so there are ways, if we're not careful, that we'll get into spiritual things in an attempt to motivate the Holy Spirit to do a certain thing. And a lot of those certain things that we want the Holy Spirit to do are more personal preference than it is the Holy Spirit. I've been in services where they have sang the same stinking song for 42 minutes over and over and over, just all in an attempt to finally feel like we got the Holy Spirit to do something. There are, are little nuances and little weird things that we develop over time if we're not careful to stay yielded to the Holy Spirit that we'll start doing, thinking, and, and a lot of times it'll be built out of or a response out of what he did last time. Well, the last time we sang that song for 42 minutes, and look what the Holy Spirit did, so we must need to sing it. If we sing it 43 minutes, how much greater would it be? That's not how God, you know, Jesus healed a lot of blind people, and he didn't heal one of them the same way. Have you ever noticed that? He spit on a dude's eyes, and then another one, he just, you know, threw up, Bartimaeus threw off the cloak, and he got his healing, and, and, and Jesus is God is not in the uh, uh, business of giving us a formula uh, by which if we do this, this, and this, then he shows up. <coughs> we do those things. Why? So we can remove the trust factor. It goes back to the trust. We want to trust in our, our plans and our services and our formulas rather than trusting in, God, what do you want? And how are you speaking? And how are you moving? And how are you leading? And you know what? In this service, he may move completely different than he did in that service. In this revival, he may do something completely different than he did in the last revival. But a lot of times, we just get in this repeat mode that if it worked last time, it must work this time. And so we got to be very careful with using tongues as a way to conjure up or to try to make the Holy Spirit do something spiritual. Let me tell you what the what tongues really does is it gets you into the spirit realm and out of the natural realm. You don't have to get the Holy Spirit in the spirit realm. He's already there. Right? He's already there. Now tongues will get me to switch over out of my natural thinking and get me into a spiritual thinking, but then once I switch over into spiritual thinking, now I'm in the business of finding out Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? Where do you want to go? And man, there's times I've been in services, we never got to the preaching and the teaching. It's the Holy Spirit moved. Signs and wonders followed and things happened. And then there were times where, you know what? We sang the song and it was time to switch over, went to the preaching of the word, and the Holy Spirit was just as much in the preaching and teaching of the word as he was in the signs and the manifestations and never getting there. Okay? So neither of us are correct in saying, well, the Holy Spirit moves if there's signs and wonders. No, the Holy Spirit moves in the preaching and teaching. And now we, have, now we create a, 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 a competitiveness rather than recognizing we need all of it. We need the preaching and the teaching and the signs following and confirming. 
<clears throat> Amen. Brother Hagin was big on this. Kenneth E. Hagin said, man, if you don't feel a, a, a readiness to go a certain direction, always go back to the Word. He, he was ministering in the 40s and 50s during what was known as the healing revival. Healing evangelists were popping up tents all over the place, and man, people were just getting healed left and right. And there was a particular evangelist that Brother Hagin told him, do not rely on the gift. Do not make a promotion of the gift. Do not go into this service needing to have the gift in operation. He told him, if the gift of healing or the gift to heal is not in operation, teach and preach the word. Go to the word. The evangelist failed to follow his advice because he felt like the people were there to see miracles, to see signs and wonders. It became an entertainment rather than truly what God wanted to be, signs and wonders that would lead them to the repentance of Jesus, lead them to the gospel, and went off the deep end. Because anytime we promote gifts over the word, which I'll get to that one in a moment, but anytime we make a, a priority of a gift, now I, I talked to y'all uh, one of the weeks in regards to the gifts of the spirit are not more important than the fruits of the spirit. Right? If I don't have love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and self-control, and, and, and that was part of what Paul was dealing with this church. The Corinthian church was, you, you'll find out later in the chapter, they're all giving gifts. Of, they're all having gifts in operation. They're all singing. They're all sharing. They're all teaching. But then they're taking each other to court, and they're sleeping with family members and all kinds of mess. The priority is being a Christian, being a believer, honoring God's word. And then these gifts, by the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to flow through his people because God wants to minister to you so badly. I had someone ask me that one time. They said, you know, I, I knew this person, you know, they were always giving tongues and interpretations, but they were just the meanest, most horrible person. And eventually we all found out that they were sleeping with someone and da-da-da-da. Why would God do that? I said, because he loves you so much that he wanted to get the word to you. That individual will stand accountable for how they lived their life and how they dishonored the word. But at the end of the day, he loved you so much that even through that messed up, broken person, he wanted to get the word to you. That's how much God loves us. So it's not about promoting the man. It's not about trying to conjure something up. It's not about trying to make something happen. I'll give you three ways people try to make the spirit move. Three, three ways that people try to make the Spirit move. And there's way more than these. I'm just going to give you some three basic ones. Number one, they pray louder. <laughs> I know we'll laugh. I, I know we'll, we'll have a good time with some of these. They'll pray louder. God hears faith, not volume. God hears faith. Not volume. Now, does that mean it's wrong to pray loud? Absolutely not. We're talking about motivation. We're talking about the intent of the heart. But man, you get in some churches, they only know one, one level. It's all or nothing. It's 100, right? 110%. They, they, they're throwing, I mean, they're throwing everything they got at it. Well, I, I, I thank God he doesn't just hear my loud prayers. In fact, Jesus even told uh, uh, his disciples, don't find yourself out on the street corner praying so loudly that you want to be heard by man. If your desire is to be heard by man, you're, you're missing it in prayer already. The desire is to be heard by God. 
Now, a lot of times in our prayer life or even in gifts and operation, it'll follow our character. If you're typically a loud vocal person, you're going to be a loud vocal person in prayer. If you're typically a shy and quiet person, you'll be a shy and quiet person in prayer. And then sometimes, every now and then, we'll switch over and, and, and we'll tap into something that wasn't even our natural demeanor. But at the end of the day, it's not about trying to do something to get something. But a lot of people, they'll think, well, let's just pray louder. Let's just holler. Let's just scream. Let's just shout to get God to move on our behalf. And that's not what moves him. You can be screaming your head off all day long. If there's no faith in your heart, he's not moved. Faith is what moves God to action. Faith is what gets him to work on our behalf and connects us to him. Number two, they'll pray longer. They'll think that the length of our prayer impresses God. The length of our service impresses God. The length of our message impresses God. I had a pastor tell me one time that, you know, he said, you know, God isn't impressed by the length of what we do. It's quality over quantity. And he said that they would probably find out if they would cut half the stuff out of their message, people would actually get something. You know, I was just talking with someone this week that, you know, has a desire to go into ministry. And he was talking about, you know, having opportunities to minister. And he was, you know, struggling and outlines and this and that. And I said, look, I teach homiletics to students, to Bible school students. I teach the ability to uh, build and study outlines and things of that nature and then deliver the message. And my, my number one tip to them is less is more. You know what I'm doing in my office Sundays and, and, and Wednesdays before service? I'm cutting stuff out. I was just struggling with that on Sunday. My wife was like, you're still on? I was like, if I share all this, we'll be here till 8 o'clock tonight. And I'll, I will run them so much through so much stuff in their mind, they won't get nothing. I'm trying to trim it down to what really matters. I'm trying to be laser focused. I'm trying to be sharpened. But we get in this idea that if we do it more, we do it longer, that somehow that moves God to action. You'd be surprised how little it takes to move God. You'd be surprised. Now, there are times that we need to get into a mode of prayer and we need to spend more time there. Absolutely. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be spending time. I want to spend more time. But again, that, that's more to my benefit than God's benefit. It's not like, okay, I didn't pray an hour, so I didn't get God's attention. He had my attention the first time. The first moment I show, he, he, I don't have to get his attention. I'm in his attention. He's thinking of me. He knows me better than I know myself. But that's more for me. Sometimes it takes me 30 minutes just to disconnect from the natural and get into what God is doing. Amen? So a lot of these things prove more beneficial to us than it is trying to get God to do something. And the third one that I have here is we become more demonstrative. We become more demonstrative. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes our activity externally is more distracting than it is engaging. We got to be aware of the moment. If you're the only one praying at a high volume, we, we need to take in this into account. Because if it's drawing attention to you and away from what God is doing in the moment, then we're not providing a benefit to the people around us. And I promise you right now, it's not a show 
of spirituality that every that you are louder than everybody else. It's not a show that you're more mature. It's not a show that you are more learned and, and more advanced in your spiritual walk with the Lord. Y'all with me? Okay. There are times where we're going to shout. There's going to be times where we're loud. And there's going to be times where you're going to be quiet. There's times where we're going to be on our face. There's going to be times where we're yielded. There's going to be times where we're listening. There's going to be times where we are trying to create an environment and atmosphere, and the actions that we're externally taking are taking away from what God wants to do in the moment, not bringing us closer. Okay? I mean, I I could use the example of, of instruments here. And and one of the reasons why it's so important that we have gifted, skilled people as well as anointed people is because it, 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 it doesn't take much to distract. Just go look up worship fail videos, and you'll find out real quick. The Spirit of God was moving, and somebody hit the wrong note, hit the wrong button, or a piece of equipment gave out. I mean, there was one video we were watching the other night. It was it was just an awesome presence in the room, and the guy was playing the keyboard, and it literally fell flat off the thing. The stand broke that it was on. We need to check that. We, we need to have quality control every, you know, four to six weeks. Is it still sturdy, still holding up? Because that thing hit the ground, you know, making all this, I mean, goodbye, Holy Spirit, you know. Um, not so much that the Holy Spirit is that sensitive, but we are. It changes our, it takes our focus away from what God is trying to do in the moment. Amen? So, again, the activities and the things that we do externally, look, when it comes to denominations, we got so many different backgrounds, man. We got churches that don't have instruments, and then we got Pentecostal churches that the people in the audience have instruments. They got a tambourine, and it's, they put it under, they don't even take it home with them anymore. They put it under their chair. And they got their pillow in the chair. That's my personal space. It's like they leased that thing or something. Probably got their name under the seat somewhere. So we, we got a whole conglomeration of how people worship and how and what people do in their services. But when our intents and our motivations, our focuses are trying to make the Holy Spirit do something, rather than I just want to get in with what the Holy Spirit's doing. Because, you know, our clapping isn't bringing heaven. Our shouting isn't bringing heaven. It's, it's our tuneness to the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. It's more of what we're doing internally than externally. So we want to make sure, again, in these common misuses, that we're not employing spiritual tactics to get God to move or to get the Holy Spirit to move. Okay? Number three. Number three. Common misuses of tongues. And again, this is going to bring us back to a, a, a corporate setting. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what we see identified here is that everything should be done for the edification and benefit, the strengthening of the body of Christ. And a common misuse is that we are not producing edification in the company of others. We're not producing edification in the company of others. Again, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 14, he wrote it with the intention to correct, not forbid. To correct, not forbid. But in the correction, 
he lets us know, look, there are moments where it's just not beneficial for the, for the whole to be speaking in an unknown tongue or for a tongue to be given, depending on different scenarios and different opportunities. And so let's look at a few of these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. And I'm going to read this to you from the, uh, well, let's look at it in the New King James real quick. And then I've got some other versions that will help us understand a little bit of what's being said. Verse 4, but now, brethren, I come to you. Nope, verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with the tongue, unless indeed he interprets, and here's the purpose, that the church may receive edification. So the whole purpose is that the church receives edification. If you look at this in the Christian standard, it reads this way. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in tongues. So again, he's not denouncing the activity of speaking in tongues. He's not forbidding that. He's saying, you know, he's not saying you guys have no business speaking in tongues or tongues are done away with or tongues are gone or, or you know, tongues are of the devil. Stop that activity. He's letting them know the purpose of it. You're building yourself up. He says, I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but even more, uh, the person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, here it is, so that the church may be built up. So that the church may be built up. If you skip down to verse 26, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, what then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. This is what he says. Everything is to be done for building up. Everything is done so that people are built up. In the um, uh, New King James, he says, let all things be done for edification. And so, number one, we have to recognize that that's the whole purpose of these gifts. It's not to promote our self-interest. It's not to promote us. It's not to look spiritual. Um, it's not to try to make the Holy Spirit do something or get him to move in a direction we want him to go. We've already covered those. But it's given for the edification and the strengthening of the body of Christ. If we do it accurately, if we do it orderly. He goes down, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 16. In the New King James, um, what did I say, 14, 16. Let's see, do I need to back? Yeah, we can start with 16, that's right. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, 
but the other is not edified. Again, there's the edification. The purpose is the edification, the building up, the strengthening of the believer, of the body of Christ. Every time we come in these doors, I pray this over our church. Every time we come in these doors, we are built up, not torn down. Whether it's preaching and teaching, whether it's the worship, whether it's, it's, it's uh, gifts of the Spirit in manifestation or operation, whether it's how you're served and how you're treated, you should feel better after leaving here. You should be encouraged, not discouraged from coming to the house of God. You don't have to come here. So if you're going to come here, it ought to be beneficial, right? When we gather together, coming together corporately as believers, we should leave better than we came. Amen. And so there's that edification. So he's saying here that if we have these gifts in operation, but there are people that are uninformed, how will they be edified? Verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And it's interesting that Paul keeps putting these statements in here reaffirming and encouraging tongues because he doesn't want them to get the picture that this is something I'm forbidding you to do. I do this with my son when I'm coaching him in baseball. If I correct something, I'll also encourage something he does because I don't want him to get the idea he's in trouble or that he's always missing it or that he shouldn't be doing a certain thing. And so when I'm giving correction, I'll respond and give something that'll help reaffirm and encourage as well. And that's what Paul is doing. Don't get the picture that this is an activity that shouldn't be taking place. I'm telling you how it should be taking place. And I'm trying to bring it in order so that it can be most beneficial in the corporate setting. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. This is what he says in verse 19. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And then jump down one more, verse 22. He again is referencing the limitation of this activity in a public setting. And then we're going to clarify this. Therefore, verse 22, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church, everyone say whole church, the whole church comes together in one place and all, everyone say all, all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, Will they not say you are out of your mind? And a translation for out of your mind is insane. You look it up. That's literally what the statement's referring to. Won't they think you're crazy? Won't they think you're insane? Verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus, the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. I want to look at this passage here in the Amplified. They should have it on the screen behind me, beginning with verse 22. Verse 22, therefore, unknown tongues are meant for a supernatural sign, not to believers, but to unbelievers who might be receptive. 
while prophecy, foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Verse 23, so then, if the whole church gathers together and all of you speak in unknown tongues, in outsiders, or those who are not gifted in spiritual matters. So we're not even just talking about unbelievers, but we're talking about even those newly uh, into the uh, believer community, new Christians, new converts, new disciples that have not been matured in such matters. If they come into these types of engagements, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people, and an unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted of his sins by all, and he is called to account by all because he can understand what is being said. The secrets of his heart are laid bare, and so falling on his face, he will worship God, declaring that God is really among you. In essence, this is what Paul is saying. He's talking about these different environments that we engage in as a church. And what we have to do is we have to have an understanding of the intent of the gathering or the intent of the meeting that we are holding. For some of us, maybe we have heard of such things as believers meetings camp meetings, or even in opportunities, let's just use our church for an example. You're sitting in a service that we call a midweek Bible study. And if you come to our church consistently and you come to our church on the weekends, you'll know that our midweek Bible studies are held differently with a different intent and a different purpose and a different design than our weekend services. Typically, what you're going to have on these Wednesday nights is more of your core group. Unbelievers or those that do not know Christ typically will not be in this type of environment. This is going to be those that are more devoted. These are going to be those that are going to be more committed. These are going to be those that want to go a little deeper per se. And this is all switched up. Back in the, the you know, olden times, I guess you would say, um, Sunday mornings were like the core group. Sunday nights, anybody remember Sunday night services? Yeah, Sunday nights were like what we would do on a Sunday morning where it's kind of open welcome to all the community and then your Wednesday nights was your, your, your Bible study, your, your, your most dedicated folks per se. So you have to know the intent and the design of the purpose of the gathering. Now, how in the world could I hold a service and avoid having an unbeliever come in a room? That's, that's not possible. Because obviously I'm not putting a sign up that says midweek Bible study only for the most dedicated and committed Christians. Only for our core group, you are not welcome if you don't know Christ or you're a casual follower. I just no sign on the door that says that. Obviously. You wouldn't come to this church if we did that. So obviously, there's no way that we can literally know the location of everyone's heart in the room, whether they're an unbeliever, whether they're a new believer, what we would call uh, immature, 
or a spiritual believer, one that has been more matured and more uh, known, more learned in the things of God. On the face of this planet, there's three different types of people. There's unbelievers, there's immature believers, and then there's mature believers. Period. That's the end. You know, that's it. You're in one of those three categories. And Paul is addressing, you've got all these different types of mixtures that could potentially be coming to a corporate setting and a corporate gathering. Well, depending on the intent of the service determines the direction and what we are adhering to in the services. And so with that being said, we might have different operations or different things that we give uh, opportunity to more in one service than we would in another. And not only that, I as the pastor need to know the I need to be able to take a pulse and gauge the spiritual environment of our church at all times. So when we were first starting and, you know, brand new to more of a denominational community as a spirit-filled church, we got overwhelming pushback and overwhelming um, negative response to the things of the spirit. Now, I would have been an idiot to continue to pursue and push spiritual things without some kind of training, some kind of explanation, some kind of uh, um, at least engaging in this is what's taking place. But I would be going against the word of God if I was just going to push spiritual things on people rather than understanding the nature of our church and, hey, we're going to have to teach this. We're going to have to engage this. I would have also been severely incorrect if I would have eradicated it, compromised it, watered it down, and gave it no place at all. Absolutely. I mean, let's just take the the grace message today. Because grace is completely misunderstood in the church today, not just the things of the Spirit. So just because I have people that come to my church that misunderstand grace and misappropriate grace, am I going to walk away from that and not apply? No, I'm going to teach it. We're going to correct. We're going to do it and operate in it in its, in its right way and in, in the way that it ought to be. But I'm going to come at it from a different angle. Well, now, 10 years later, our church is in a completely, almost completely reversed way. So there's definitely going to be things that happen in our church based on where the majority of our church is, the understanding that they have, and the desire and the receptivity, not just naturally, but even spiritually. I have to be in tune to that as a pastor. And I can sense that. I can sense when there's a receptivity and a a responsiveness, and I can also sense when they're not quite getting it. And so rather than enforcing um, engagement, I've got to move more towards explanation. I've got to move more to like what we're doing now, teaching. We always need to be taught, regardless of how much we've engaged in, regardless of how much we've walked in, regardless of even how much exposure. We always need to continue to be taught. But what I can expect from our church and what how our church responds tells me not just naturally but spiritually where our church is and how we can operate in some of these things. Now, absolutely, we're going to have people that come in I remember uh, just last summer, um, we actually had a, a gift of tongues and interpretation operate in service. One individual gave a tongue right at the end of our worship. It was just a moment right there, and someone felt uh, the, the opportunity to give a tongue, and then someone else gave the interpretation. 
And later that weekend, we did a vision partnership where we, you know, have people come and learn about the church, come get connected with the church. And this couple said that they were sitting in the back and they had been coming to our church about three or four services. And in those three or four services, we had never operated in a gift of tongues interpretation. And so they said that was the very first time we had ever heard someone speak in tongues, ever. I'd never even, I didn't even know what tongues sounded like, they said. Never heard it before. They said that that particular Sunday, they happened to invite some friends to come along with them. And their friends sat beside them and said, what did you bring us to? And they said, we don't know. We've never seen this happen before. I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know how to explain it. And so absolutely, you know what those people were probably thinking? These people are out of their minds. These people are insane. Now, if that was forbidden, then Acts, then the Acts chapter 2 encounter started off incorrectly. Y'all with me? If Paul was forbidding that and saying people should... People ought not come into your services and think you are out of your minds and think that you're insane and think that you've lost it. Because there was a whole street full of people thinking that these people were so drunk and so out of their minds in in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. So he's not forbidding it. He's he's helping you understand that you got to know the scenario and the service that you're in. And if you are engaging things with no explanation, that you're not helping the unlearned along and you're doing things that are only thinking of the mature and the ones that are spiritual and the ones that are along a certain way, then you don't have a heart for the edification of the body of Christ. But you know what? There's a lot of things that we do that people think we're out of our mind. There's a lot of things that we say. When I tell people that we've been raised up and seated with Christ and we're here to rule and reign, there's people that think I'm nuts. They absolutely do. Even though I can take them directly to the word and show them. When I tell people that God still wants you to be healed and he still wants you to operate in divine healing and healing is for today, they think I'm crazy. They absolutely do. There's a lot of things that make people think I've lost it. And I think we're just going to get more on more more down the range that I'm going to look crazier and crazier. You ain't seen the half of it yet. Things about to look real crazy here in a little bit. But that's what a consecrated church looks like. That's what a church with conviction looks like. That's what a distinct, distinguished, set-apart church looks crazy to the natural wisdom of the world and the natural ideologies of the world and the natural systems of the world. So again, he's not forbidding. He's just correcting. Your angle here is that all of you, he says the whole congregation is given tongues and operating in this and operating in that. And you're forgetting that your Your body is made up of many different walks of life. And you've got to operate in a way that includes everyone. Every time a tongue, interpretation, or a prophecy is given, some of y'all may know because you've seen us do it, I take you right to 1 Corinthians 14. And that's what that couple said. Now, the new couple that they invited didn't come to Vision Partnership. That was all it took. They said, we out. The other two said, we don't know anything about it. I'd never heard it in my life. But afterwards, you went to 1 Corinthians 14. You put the verse on the screen, and you walked us verse by verse and line by line with what just took place. We couldn't refute it. And we even told our friends, he said, he showed you in the Bible. Yeah, it's just too weird, just too weird for us. 
but they remained hungry and they're still in our church today. It's all about the receptivity of the heart. But for us as a church, we hold the stewarding of lives and we're responsible not just for things that operate in this church, but how we explain it, how we direct it, how we communicate it. But there's going to be, if we live our lives trying to avoid people thinking we're crazy, that, that's, not the, that's not the disciples I know. That's not the Christian life I know. And I'm not going to get, get caught up in trying to look so normal that I blend in with everything around me. Y'all with me? Okay. So it's about the engagement of the service. And there's going to be times, you know, our worship and prayer nights, I mean, this hasn't specifically happened, but our worship and prayer nights on Sundays at 6 p.m. that we've been doing leading up to our Kingdom Rise conference, there's opportunities there that, that, might take, that might lend itself more than a Sunday morning or even a Wednesday night. And I'm going to tell you right now, our Kingdom Rise conference, there's absolutely going to be an environment charged for the things of the Holy Spirit in those services. Absolutely. It's designed that way. It's designed for believers. Now, again, that doesn't mean unbelievers aren't, aren't welcome. doesn't mean we put a sign that says believers meeting. If you don't know Jesus, you can't come in. Obviously, we want them to come in. He even says tongues are assigned to the unbeliever. I mean, how more supernatural can you get than praying in a language or speaking in a language that you personally don't know and you're, you're not making up on your own? Yeah, that's supernatural. And that's a sign to them that there's a God that is supernatural. There's a, that's a sign to them that there is more to life than what we can see, feel, and touch. Number four. Let's get these next two out here quickly. Number four. Misuses of tongues. Number four, not submitting to spiritual leadership and accountability. Not submitting to spiritual leadership and accountability. You know, a lot of times... Uh, a, a direction that people can go with spiritual activity, whether it's saying, uh, thus saith the Lord in English, whether it's tongues and interpretation, whether it's praise and worship. Um, you know, a lot of times people will say uh, it was the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit said, or I'm moving with the Spirit as a justification of their own fleshly natural response. And the Holy Spirit was never meant to be an excuse for misbehavior. The Holy Spirit was never to be an excuse for our own natural impulses that we can't control and get under. And at the end of the day, what we have to recognize is in the house of God, he has leaders. They're called shepherds. It's called pastors. And they are the spiritual authority, not just of the people, but also of the events and the services and the going-ons within the church. And so there has to be a submission to the spiritual leadership of the house that we are not doing things on our own that are going against the assignment of the house, the assignment of the service, or not submitting it to the accountability of the pastor. And if a pastor is truly a pastor, he will correct and redirect if something does get out of line. Now, people have a fear of failure. People have a fear of, I don't want to step out. There's many times that I personally, you know, didn't step out. The first impulse when God's leading you to say something or speak something, especially if you're new to this, the first impulse is, no, I ain't doing that. Every time. 
I'm not, I'm not sharing that. I'm not saying that. I'm not giving a tongue. I'm not prophesying. I'm not speaking this out. And, and so, you know, the impulse is always to draw back. Well, God wants us to be bold. But at the same time, we need to trust the leadership over our lives to the point that, man, if I did miss it and if I did blow it, I've got a pastor that's going to catch me. I've got a pastor that's going to come behind me and redirect. It's not a bad thing to have spiritual leadership in your life. And it's not a bad thing to have them come along and say, hey, you know what? This, what, this happened, and this isn't exactly what, what, what should have taken place. The Bible even tells us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that a tongue interpretation or a prophecy should be submitted to godly counsel. Two or three witnesses that we should, it should be confirmed and reaffirmed. And then we also have scriptural outline of what a prophecy looks like or what a word of the Lord looks like. And it's not going to tear down, right? It's going to build up. So, you know, I, I, I've been in services where people have given a prophecy and it was fire, hell, and brimstone, and, and I'm tired of all of you, and, and, and I'm burning you. I've literally been in those services. Well, apparently that does not follow the protocol of the Holy Spirit. So that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was your flesh. Then I've also seen what we see a lot of times is people will take a word that's for them personally and deliver it to the church body as a corporate word when, no, that's what God was saying to you personally. That wasn't a corporate word. That wasn't for everybody. So a lot of times we get these impulses where the Lord is speaking to us, and he will in service. But we don't have the discernment to say, you know what, this isn't for everybody. That's something God's dealing with me about. That's something that God's dealing with me in my life. This isn't a corporate. And so in these instances, we need to make sure that we are always submitting spiritual activity to spiritual leadership. And the head of the house, the pastor, the shepherd, the overseer. Because at the end of the day, I'm the one that's responsible for the people in this house. And I'm the one responsible for what happens and doesn't happen. And I'm the one, and if I don't have the, the gall to correct, to redirect, to straighten out, to confront, to challenge, to align, then I'm not doing, doing my job as a pastor. You know, one thing that I have to do as a pastor is I have to address sin in the church. There's literally an ordainment of the pastor that sin is not allowed to just run rampant in a church, especially when it begins to compromise others in the flock. And we've never had to do it, thank God. But Paul wrote to this Corinthian church and told them there was an individual that was sinning so badly and it was affecting and compromising the body. He said, you need to put them out Hand them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Their only hope was that you let them go and run their course, and hopefully they will find their way back to God. You know, the father did that with the prodigal son. He let him walk. And so, you know, we haven't had to do it. I haven't had to put anybody out of the church, but we absolutely have the right and the responsibility to do it for the sake of the flock. Because there will be wolves that will come in in sheep's clothing, and they'll come in not to, to, to unify and to come into alignment. They come in literally to disturb and distress. And so the pastor's role, the spiritual leadership, is also in the uh, uh, position of keeping order within the church. And that's what Paul's trying to address here in 1 Corinthians 14. Make sure you're doing it in order. And Pastor Paul was speaking to the Corinthian church that he planted and said, here's the things that I'm hearing are taking place. 
And he wrote an entire chapter to correcting this type of behavior. So it's got to remain submitted to spiritual leadership and accountability. Um, So there's three, let me just give you these real quick, three ways that we can remain in alignment. Um, Three ways we can remain in alignment. Number one, we don't violate leadership. We don't violate leadership. Okay? i just give you one quick example. And this also is not just gifts and, and tongues and those kind of things. But we had uh, in, in, in our church, um, you know, in praise and worship, some people can be more demonstrative than others. And that's not bad. Everyone has their personal way that they worship. And, you know, what I tell people a lot of times is if you see someone that's really entering into worship and, 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 you know, you don't know what they've been through. You don't know what got them there. You don't know what they just overcame. You don't know what struggle. You, you don't know. And if you knew, you probably would be right alongside them jumping and shouting and dancing and singing and those kind of things. But there are times when we have to understand the, the order of the service and the direction of the service and the environment the service is in. And if you're in a worshipful environment, where we are praising and worshiping Jesus, that we don't want to, that, those are times when we want to be extremely sensitive that we aren't being so loud and misdirecting the praise and worship to him that it's hindering others. And we had an individual in our church in St. Augustine that she would always find herself like dancing. And she would make her way down the aisle and sometimes she'd end up in front. And you know, it's not a big deal. Again, people are going to do what they do. Now, there's certain things that we just won't allow because it's, it's not the Spirit of God and it's not anything biblical. It's, it's more fleshly, man-made stuff. But it's sense that she's dancing, and the Bible tells us to dance before the Lord. Nothing wrong with dancing during praise and worship. Some of y'all ought to try it. It's actually good. It's good for you. But Pastor Earl took on this one moment, and he told us leadership afterwards. He took on this, it was a world worshipful moment, and she just found herself, you could tell it just didn't fit. You could tell everybody, you know, the whole service was going one direction, and she's over here. It just wasn't, and so he gave a directive from the stage. He came up on the stage, he asked everyone to kneel down, the whole church. Asked the whole church to kneel, everyone on your knees. Just feel this presence of God here, glory of God, let's just, 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 kneel in reverence to what God is doing. And she didn't. And so right then he knew, you're in the flesh, you're not in the spirit. Because if you were in the spirit, you'd be following the directive of the spiritual leadership of the house. And so it was a test, and he knew right then that she couldn't follow the direction of the pastor of the house, the shepherd of the house, the, the spiritual leadership. Because if you were following the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will never go against Part of the reason why you're not speaking right now and I'm speaking is because the Holy Spirit won't interrupt the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit won't interrupt Jesus. Okay? The direction of this service isn't a conversation. It's not a dialogue. It's not a a, a buy-in. It's a teaching session. That's what we're doing here. So the Holy Spirit's not just going to bolt out. If someone were to just stand up right now and just start prophesying or just giving a tongue, you'd be in the flesh, period. Because you'd be interrupting what's happening in the service. Now, if there was a moment, there was an opportunity where we're yielding to that, to hear from God, and you stood up and you gave a word and you fought, then you would be more in alignment. Y'all understand, is this good? 
This is just teaching. This is just practical teaching to understand how the gifts of the Spirit operate and how we have to stay yielded to the spiritual leadership of the house so you don't violate leadership. Number one, you stay within the, or number two, you stay within the proper use of the gift. These are ways that we can stay in alignment. We don't violate leadership. We stay in line with the proper use of the gift. Again, it's got to edify. It's got to build up. It's got to encourage. And then number three, the intent of the meeting. The intent of the meeting. If we're in an evangelistic meeting where there's more lost people than believers, we're probably not going to have gifts of tongues and interpretation. Why? Because you're going to have a majority of people that are going to be unknown. They're going to be in the unfamiliar. And you're going to have to do a lot of explaining. And that's not the intent of the service. The intent of the service is to point people to Jesus. Get people out of darkness into light. Amen. Violation of leadership, proper use of the gift, intent of the meeting. Number five, real quick. This is an easy one. A misuse of tongues, relying on the gift above the word of God. Relying on the gift above the word of God. And again, just to quickly give this to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 18 in the Christian standard, it reads this way. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's quantity. That's how much he's speaking in tongues. But this is what he says. Yet, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. In essence, we should not have services upon services upon services where there are gifts of the Spirit in operation and no teaching or preaching of the Word. At the end of the day, the bottom line is the foundation of our growth and our development is not in gifts, it's in the preaching and teaching of the Word. In our personal life, if you are yielding yourself to tongues and wanting to hear from the Holy Spirit more than you are going to the Word of God, then you're out of line. I have people tell me, you know, I want to go hear this person speak because I want to get a word of God. Or they hear a prophet's coming to town. They want to get a prophetic word over their life. We are never to seek prophets and people for prophetic words. Never. Now, the only time you see someone going after someone to get a word from a spiritual being is King Saul when he went and he consulted with the fortune teller. It's the only time you see it in the word. If you want a word from God, go to the word of God. If you want a word from God, it's as close as your Bible is to you. This is the word of God. Now, will he speak through man? Absolutely. Will he give prophetic utterances? Will he give you words of wisdom and words of knowledge? Of course. It's a nine, one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. But they will always confirm and align with the word of God. I know someone personally that said they got a prophetic word that they were supposed to be, uh, you know, go to Africa to be a missionary. And they said, I have no desire to go to Africa or be a missionary. I said, then it's not of God. God's not going to tell you something that doesn't affirm and is not confirmed by what he's already telling you. When a prophet speaks into your life, it will turn a light bulb on for you. It'll say, that's what that is. And when you receive a prophetic word, I don't know why I'm going here, but when you receive a prophetic word, it's always in part. It's never whole. 
Meaning you're going to have to go and get that word and you're going to have to study it and you're going to have to pray into it and you're going to have to get God to reveal some more things to you. You don't ever get a prophetic word and then things just automatically start happening. You get a prophetic word. It's not a prophetic word that changes your life. It's your obedience to the word that changes your life. I can receive a prophetic word and refuse to walk into things to cause that thing to come out in my life and it will produce no results in my life. See, what, this is what people do is they place emphasis on the gifts above the word of God rather than keeping the word the foundation. And this is how we get off into cuckoo, cuckoo land. This is how we end up in dangerous places where, the, where God is not glorified and God is not edified. We have places set up in this country, different ministries that have these different, you know, prophetic things that you can go to to get a word. That is not of God. If you want a word from God, he's got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and he can speak directly to you, and he does not need you at the mercy of someone else getting a word from God. And many of those people end up getting off because they're seeking to operate in a gift rather than just staying with the word. It's kind of what I just said about Brother Hagin with someone was exalting the gift of, of healings and, and operation in their ministry. And then when time came, when the gift wasn't necessarily there, they began to force things to happen. They began to pay people to act like they were sick and come up in a line to be able to entertain people. And that only pulls people away from what God wants to do for them, not towards it. I just watched a documentary a couple of weeks ago on... Um, the Bakers, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, the prosperity message people that, and I, it almost put me up, like, I don't ever want to talk about money again after listening to those guys. No wonder people have such a hard time receiving any kind of prosperity teaching or provision teaching. No wonder. If you, if you give us, if you send in $3,000, God will get you the house that you want, the car that you, what in the world are we talking about? But now we go all the way from one ditch to the other and say that God wants us broke and needy and he doesn't want us having nice things and, and he can't uh, grant us all of our needs according to the riches and, and we just throw the baby out with the bathwater. So this is what happens. We got to keep the word of God, the word of God. It got to keep the main thing, the main thing. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Last one, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. How is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. Why is he saying two or three at the most? Because I don't want you making an entire service out of yielding and, and relying on a gift. The word is to be taught and preached in your services. And if all you're doing is talking in tongues and no one can understand what you're saying, then we are not edifying the body of Christ and we're missing it. Y'all seeing this? So it's not forbidding, it's directing, it's correcting, it's aligning, as he says later on in the chapter, so that all things can be done with decency and in order. And when that happens, these gifts absolutely exalt and glorify the presence of God. And his power comes into the place and people are encouraged, edified, and built up and better than, the better than they were when they came. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. 
If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.